Birding means adventure, and the American Birding Association and Rock Jumper Worldwide Birding Tours are at it again. In July of 2019, we will explore Colombia, the ultimate paradise for birders with almost 2,000 species, including more hummingbird species than any other country. We're excited to gather again to see our friends while also raising important funds for the ABA's conservation and community initiatives. Pre-register now for what is certain to be an amazing time. Tanagers, parrots, ant pittas, and the ABA family await you a short flight away. Get more information at aba.org travel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and I am I'm pretty excited about this episode. It's it's easily the most ambitious one we've done, just in terms of lots of moving pieces coming together. It may not be the sort of thing that we can put together every time, but it's the sort of thing I'd like to do more often. And so, you know, more on that in a bit. First, though, I have a couple of announcements to make before we get started. Uh, when this episode goes live, I will be on my way to Ohio for the biggest week in American birding. The ABA will have a table at Mommy Bay, and a couple of us will be around for at least the first weekend. Kelly, our headquarters manager, will stick it out the whole time. And John, who is the technical producer of this podcast and also does sales and marketing, uh, will be there as well. I will be around the first weekend, so if you see me out on the boardwalk or anywhere, feel free to say hello. Uh, and of course, stop by the ABA booth table, place, you know, wherever we are, uh, and say hi. Also, if you are a member of the ABA and you received a copy of the February issue of Birding Magazine that did not include the EEV Bird of the Year stickers, please let us know. I have a link to a form in the show notes that you can follow and get that fixed. Uh, we want you to have your stickers, but sometimes the machine that that shoots them into the magazines misses, and it happens a few times every year. So uh, if you're missing your stickers, follow that link and we can hook you up. In this episode, it is the Champions of the Flyway with the ABA Leica Subital Weed Ears. We had an amazing time and the team ended with 147 species on the day, which was a, a pretty fair total for a first-time participants. You'll hear about it in the main part of the episode from the Subital Weed Ears, that is Johanna Beam, Marky Mutchler, and Aiden Place. All that after this week's Rare Birds. <laughs> This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of April 2018. Another week, another potential ABA area first, this time from Texas, where Javi Gonzalez and Alex Lamoureux found a juvenile great black hawk on South Padre Island in Cameron County. This has been a bird on the radar of Texas birders for a long time, as it comes as close to the ABA area as southern Tamaulipas State in Mexico. Exceptional photos were taken to confirm the ID. It's always super satisfying when someone not only finds a really rare bird, but completely crushes the photos. Unfortunately, the bird was not refound, despite some pretty intensive searching. Still pretty exciting, though. Not a first, but right on time, European golden plovers have shown up again in Newfoundland. A small handful of these birds, still surprisingly in ABA Code 4, have shown up in Newfoundland in late April like clockwork the last few years. Another bird that shows up right on time every year in late April, Bahama Mockingbird. One was found in Miami-Dade this week. Only one first record this time around, a neotropic cormorant was found in Deschain Rapids, Quebec, yet another outlier record of this species, which is only increasing as a vagrant all across the continent. 
This is only a short version of a much longer roundup of notable ABA area birds, which can be found every Friday at the ABA blog, blog.aba.org. If you are interested in keeping up on the rarity landscape in the ABA area, please join our ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or follow a special Twitter feed just for that stuff. It's at ABA Bird Alert. It's nearly midnight, and birders are gathering at the Israel Bird Research Center in Elat, just on the north side of the southernmost city in Israel, not more than a few hundred meters from Jordan. This is the official starting line of the Champions of the Flyway, a bird race, but something more than that, an international gathering of birders in 32 teams from 15 nationalities, four continents, from both Israel and Palestine, and they're getting ready to bird for 24 hours straight. 20 seconds. You guys ready? Ready. Yes. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Among these teams for the first time is one affiliated with the ABA, specifically a group of college-age birders, all of whom have backgrounds that involve various ABA young birder programs, both camps and the young birders of the year. Joanna Beam, Marky Mutchler, and Aiden Place, the ABA Leica subadult weed ears, and me along as the driver and documentarian. We spent the last few days birding the area around a lot, the Negev as far north as Yerucham, about 200 kilometers north to south. What we refer to as the competition playing field is something like an inverted triangle that covers about the southern quarter of Israel, with a lot at the southern point. It's a bottleneck for migrating birds, especially for soaring birds like raptors and storks that don't like to cross the open water of the Mediterranean on their journey from wintering areas in Africa to breeding territories in Europe and Russia. But an incredible number of passerines move through as well. It's one of the world's great migration hotspots and has been for millennia, long before political interests made the region a hotspot of a different sort. Anyway, after a quick and successful bit of night birding around Yotvata, our first bird was an Egyptian nightjar, an auspicious start. We're heading to the far north and working our way south, the classic north-to-south route that has brought teams a lot of success in the past. Yeah, we decided that taking a risk and going south to north was, um, we weren't quite ready for it. Um, You know, that's something we should, you know, more scouting time. It seems like a bit of an advanced route. Right, and like having all the other birders up there as well, um, we'll be able to like nail everything with them. and like if we're with if we run into a group and they're spotting things like worse comes to worse like we'll be able to uh, just like use that as well. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> yeah, back in. No shame in that. No shame. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll help them find stuff. Too. All right, on our way. How are you feeling right now? Are you excited for the event? Most looking forward oh, to. Oh, I'm sleeping at the end. Yes, sleep. <laughs> Actually, eating a sandwich in about five minutes or so. <laughs> <I'm really excited. laughs> Goals. Yeah, I mean, those realistic goals, I think, yeah. that's really important. Honestly. Keep yeah, we really got to keep our eyes on the prize. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sleep in this case. That would be so Here's a little background on why the champions of the flyway exist. Israel is something of a protected place for migratory birds. Is it too on the nose to call it an Eden? I'll try and keep the biblical references to a minimum, but it's really hard. 
Anyway, Israel has made protection of wildlife a national priority, and strict hunting laws prevent the sort of wholesale slaughter that you might see once you cross the border. And I'm not just talking about Israel's immediate neighbors here, either. France, Italy, Tunisia, Greece, the Caucasus. Illegal bird killing is a serious issue in the old world. BirdLife International estimates that 25 million birds are killed for sport, for food, for, for no reason at all, every year. It's especially problematic in the spring because the birds that you're killing on their northward migration are birds that are migrating to breed. So you don't just kill a bird, you're killing its potential fledglings. You kill a bird that has already survived that first evolutionary crucible that is migration. Because it's in that migration bottleneck, Israeli birders saw it more than most. The idea that those swirling masses of hawks and eagles and storks might get blown out of the sky the minute they cross the border was too much. So Champions was born. Every team is obligated to raise money, all of which goes to a specific BirdLife International partner every year in a Mediterranean or West Asian nation. No strings attached. To help stop this bird poaching problem in a way that they deem most effective. For some, it's education. For some, it's law enforcement. But it's led to real successes. And maybe it's because every team is pulling together for that common goal that the sense of community is so very strong at Champions. You heard Marky talking there about people reporting birds. That happens all race long. You find something good, you let every other team know about it. It's amazing. Even during the big day, people were willing to give fairly detailed directions to where birds were being seen. Yep. So it was really helpful with owls, mm-hmm. in particular, that that Scops owl was found at um, Sable Care, and that people were then able to give us, the Israeli youth team, the um, little bastards were able to give us directions to where in the park they had the scops and the long-eared. And I think, I mean, since we were sticking to a schedule, it wasn't like we were chasing things right and left, but occasionally there were times where something unusual showed up and it was where we were going next. It was sort of like Mm -hmm. right off the road from where we were driving by and we were able to sort of... Yeah, I think it kept kind of like a a friendly atmosphere to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Really like that. It's not like you're competing against each other to a point where it's like, oh, I'm going to hide this and <laughs> not tell you. And Which I, so. I think that's good for an event like this because the point, purpose mm-hmm. of this event is for conservation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so having that sort of friendlier, we're all in this together, we're all fighting for the same thing kind of mindset um, is, is really, it's a, a somewhat unusual for a big day event, I think, but I think it's what yeah. makes this um, competition so special. Mm-hmm. Yep. So with a little bit of background of the whys and hows of Champions of the Flyway out of the way, let's get back to the race. If you look at a Google Earth image of Yarokam Reservoir, it's an island of green in the middle of a sea of brown. That's how migratory birds see it, too. It's the perfect opportunity to find European species first thing in the morning. And we were there at dawn. Oh. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's finally daylight here. We're at Yarokam Lake in uh, northern, northern part of the playing field. Um, here's your sub adult weed ears. We're hearing a lot of birds here this morning. Very cold. Very cold. It's a little chilly. You think since we're in the desert that it would be warm, but it's not. Uh, so we are looking for all sorts of European species that might be sneak down into the playing field in this part. You can hear perhaps some of them. What's that singing? The green finches. Green finches, yeah, the green finches. And house sparrows. One of the warblers. And lapwings. Like oh, what's our time? 6.43. You, sort of, you get the dawn course in the U.S. and within the first five minutes you can sort of take off all of the species as they sing. And I feel that we couldn't have done that in the south with the more Middle Eastern specialties, but in the north at Yerohab when we had things like Savvy's Warbler, Seti's Warbler, Pendulum Tit, Eurasian Blackbird, 
um, Eurasian Jay, we were sort of able to like rack them up really fast and take them off really quickly just by ear. Um, so I, I think that played to our advantage to some extent that just since my time in Europe, I'm more familiar with that northern stuff than with the stuff on the southern end of the playing field with the species in the south. Landed. Okay, let's go. Was there a way through it? Yeah. Um. Alright, we gotta see if I'm in the Let's just try to pick up as many migrants as we can. Yeah. Yep. Is this a Damage Street Shift? Mina, probably Mina on flight going left. Over the, just over the tree line. It's that flock. Yeah, we got The big day is sort of a specialized kind of burning. Yeah. You have to move fast. You have to keep a schedule. You have to maximize your time in certain places and decide whether spending time on one bird in one place is worth the time you lose, potentially finding a dozen birds in another. So there are certain sacrifices to make along the way. Complicating all of this is the fact that for most of the team, and me as well, many of the birds we are finding are life birds. This is a new country for all of us, after all, and you sort of want to spend a little time with these new discoveries, time that you don't necessarily have on race day. It's a bit of a weird feeling. I, you know, I thought it was going to be really hard, but I think the three days of scouting got a lot of the lifers out of the way, and then it was just like, okay, I, I already know what this bird looks like. I can just see it and go. It's kind of like, like a touch and go kind of thing where like... Mm-hmm. Right. There was a few where the birds were really cooperative and it was kind of hard to pull yourself away just because mm-hmm. it's so pretty. Like the blue cheek bead or... Mm-hmm. Um, the woodshots were <laughs> pretty nice too. Woodshots were nice. And then when we were recording the the reed warbler, luckily oh, yeah. it was in the morning so like there wasn't much else. Spending... Eight, eight to eight, ten minutes. <laughs> eight minute long recording of a reed warbler. I think yeah. when you get into the sort of big day mindset, it's easier to give up on birds when you're really right. rushing mm-hmm. and the adrenaline going. It's easy to say, like, we need to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Know, even if the bird's cool, like the queen's busted or something, which we had dipped right. on in the scouting. And so yeah. Yeah. a life bird for all three of us, mm-hmm. but I think we did a pretty good job of just mm-hmm. saying, it's cool, mm-hmm. but we'll see it again. We're just yeah. The competitive scope. Yeah. Saw the courser run by, I was like, yep, cool. got it. <laughs> yeah, the competitiveness really just kicks in. During, during a big day, you're just like, we gotta, the adrenaline is just pumping and gotta move, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe it was mostly weird for me. Subtle weed ears to an individual were machines able to compartmentalize better than maybe I was, but that doesn't mean they didn't really enjoy what they were seeing. Uh, Pharaoh Igalawa was, that was like, I was like freaking out. I mean, also, I was so tired <laughs> that like, any excitement would just like, was keeping me awake. The fair we go was nice too because it was after dark at the end of the day. Yep. So we had a bunch of time spare. We didn't have to be rushing around. So it was a really uh, life bird that we got incredible views at. And mm-hmm. It was a really cool bird. <laughs> and we were able actually to sit there and watch it for a while and to photograph it and just kind of enjoy it. And, yeah. Which we couldn't do with some of the cooler birds we saw earlier in the day. I mean, yeah. the coursers and the cream colored courser <laughs> and the McGuid's Buster jumped to mind for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the black bellied sand grouse. Yes, watching the watch come in. Yeah. Oh man, that they was flew awesome. In and started drinking off the edge. There are moments like that throughout the day. Times when birds surprised you or provided great experiences despite the time crunch. <laughs> um, Lander falcon. Yeah, I was going to say Lander. Yeah, because that was, I mean, they nest in that area around Mids Parabon and um, the Ben Grave. But they're somewhat random and sporadic, as a lot of those sort of large falcons are. I mean, think Jeer Falcon in the Apia area that mm-hmm. um, move over large areas. And we were at the Ben Gurion Overlook and had later come by, which was really nice. Although, that's another one of those birds that I would have enjoyed a lot more had it been not on a big day. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. I think some of the other teams there thought we were a bit crazy for just because we just 
saw the lighter and then moved off. <laughs> so we're out of Midrashit and Gurion, just south of City Booker. We've kind of gotten stuck here. Uh, this is a beautiful canyon, uh, which has a lot of soaring raptors in it, including Egyptian vulture and apparently some Benelli's eagles that we have not been able to touch base. But we have found things like uh, Bartel Bark and Pellet Swift, which has been nice. So anyway, here are your Sibidol leaders, along with some uh, a German team. Oh, we had Lanner Falcon here, which was very nice. Um, this is the only place in the playing field where you're likely to find it. So we're going to be on our way soon, heading south to the um, to the towards Eilat, the big the big drive across the Negev to get to the southern part of the playing field. Very soon, as soon as we can tear ourselves away from this. What are you on, Marky? Alpine Swifts. Alpine Swifts? Oh, very good. Would you want to see them? That'd be great. Yeah, there's three of them together there. Here. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Are we going to give them the vanillas? Oh, Thank you. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's the vanillas? All right. Okay. okay. All right, we're heading out. Let's go, guys. And there were challenges as well, the sort of issues you expect when a team of new world birders tries to tackle old world birds. Take, for instance, eagles. I genuinely think Aquila eagles are one of the most difficult European bird families to identify, right. <laughs> if not the single most difficult. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even gulls, like in Europe, or like the old world warblers, are much, much easier to ID than the Aquila eagles, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, 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 I agree. Look at one, you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure, certain about that. Look yeah. at the next yeah. one, you're like, oh, I'm less certain about that. That last one's interesting. Oh, here comes a bunch more. <laughs> oh, my lord. Okay. We need to, like, yeah, we watch our time. But yeah, let's also... head out. There's three long way buzzards in there with these blocks, I think. Um, are these more Aquila coming? Maybe, but. Yeah. Oh, what's that one? That's an eastern burial. Look how Look big how and plank big you are. are. Look how big and plank like those wings are. Yeah, those are big old wings. That's an eastern burial. I'm pretty sure that one. Those are steep. Okay, I mean, the rest are probably steps. Spotted? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, at least step in eastern burial. Alright, let's head up. Yep. We got three new species here. Long way buzzard in the oh. <laughs> Yeah, but at least with like old world warblers, like, you can look at something you know, a, a decent, like, distance from you, or, like, you know, no, it's not like you're looking at something that's however many hundred meters in the air, that's just a little speck, and you're looking at if there's white here, or Which is where, where structure and um, having the background in it, which mm -hmm. we don't have the background. I don't want to spend too much time on the play-by-play, -play because the fact of the matter is, is that if you're running it perfectly, a big day is sort of monotonous. You rush to a spot, you get your bird, or you don't, you keep a constant tally of birds you haven't seen yet that you need to see, where you might find them. That's all part and parcel of the big day experience. And with champions, you occasionally get these little reports of birds on your route. Sometimes that doesn't pan out, but sometimes it does. So what are outstanding misses right now as we are at 3 o'clock in the afternoon with about two and a half hours of daylight left? Um, Potcher. Potchard? At K20. Oh, there is one at K20. There's four of them. Oh, sure. Northeast most pole. Yeah, this is a, can we, can we pull off? Wait. Sorry, 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 sorry. We got it. Northeast most pole. Northeast most pole? Yeah. Of the four pools, like the... Northeast most pole. 
It'll be the one over there. Yeah, let's go. Northwest corner of the northeastmost pool. So, so like little or all far in this corner. Poacher, you said right? Yes, for poacher. Nice. That's Tom Reed. Sweet. Far run to Jeff then too. So I guess that would count as one outstanding mess that hopefully will no longer be an outstanding mess. Little bee eater, right? Little bee eater. <laughs> Sad. I would say sand partridge, but okay, we didn't we never had them. Yeah, sand partridge is generally this entire week. Always seem to miss out on stone chats, but they're not the easiest. Oh, I never took quite time. Huh? I never took quite time. Oh, really? Well. No, Mark. And we got, we can see them, they're poachers. No, we are good. <laughs> Better now. It was about this point that the day became a little crazy. The rest of the late afternoon was a fight against the daylight, hitting a handful of spots in a lot for a handful of birds. Blue rock thrush at the Eilat Cemetery, white-eyed gull at the beach. Rushing back out north of Eilat to see the Liechtenstein sand grouse come in for their evening drink, which is an exceptional experience. Those birds have the most incredible finely barred plumage. But having been up for more than 24 hours, the day is starting to wear. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got you got that sort of adrenaline feeling again like we had at the start of the day where yeah. um, we we felt rushed and we needed to check, check off all the species. But we did really well. We they like added a whole bunch of birds we weren't planning on. Things like Little Turn and um, Collard Pratt and Cole showed up at dusk. Yeah. The scrub robin. Oh yeah, we found a scrub robin. A uh, Rufus scrub robin. Um, Rufus tail, I guess, scrub robin, um, which was unexpected and somewhat scarce migrant through here at this time of year, at least. Yeah. Um, then sunset. One more run out to Yotvata to touch base with the pharaoh eagle owl, which Marky spotted on what looked like its favorite hunting perch of the copious whitewash was any indication. You heard about that earlier. And then we ended as we began with an Egyptian night jar. Hey guys. Uh, we are at the end of the line here. We are ending this day as we began it out at Yovtava Fields uh, looking for nocturnal birds. We've already had amazing looks at Pharaoh Eagle Owl. Uh, Marky got some killer photos. But what we're looking at here, you may hear the, uh, the snaps of the camera. We have an Egyptian night jar in the road in front of us right now. But yeah, that was our first bird of the morning and it, it's quite possibly could be our last bird of the night. So that's a kind of a poetic bookend. After that, it was back to the IBRCE where we started to turn in the official checklist and do our little grilling from the judges and finally bed. Then the next morning, everyone came together at the Queen of Sheba Hotel. That's not a biblical reference. That's the actual name of the hotel for the awards brunch. For much of the race day, you are more or less on your own in the relative isolation of your car. You see teams out at various sites, but the interaction is pretty minimal. It's not until you get back with the other teams that you really get a sense of the scale of the event, the money raised, and the real stakes involved. And it's pretty impressive. Over $100,000 was raised this year, all of which went to BirdLife partners in Serbia and Croatia, who will be working together to stop illegal bird killing there. And that's not nothing. The Serb-Croat team noted that this was the first time that they had worked together on a large-scale conservation issue in more than 20 years. That would have been before the Balkan War. Birds are bringing people together in meaningful ways. 
And there is no team that better illustrates that than the Palestine Sunbirders, a joint Israeli-Palestinian team that shows that friendship and fellowship built around birds can accomplish a lot. The dedication of this team is impressive, despite the obvious issues at play. The fact that the Palestinian team members can't bring their optics out of the West Bank, the fact that the Israeli team members who are affiliated with the Bird Research Center and Alat are often accused by Palestinian authorities of being secret government agents when they support their Palestinian colleagues, it's... Well, it's complicated, but it's also inspiring. And they come to play, too. They finished third this year, tying the competition record set just last year. One of the most interesting themes this year was the rise of young birder teams. Now, young birders is one of those terms that is applied pretty broadly, but it can't be denied that young, wherever you draw that line, birders were a big part of this year's champions. The second place team was a group of real deal young Israeli birders. The winning team from South Africa called themselves the World Youth Birders. And while they're sort of aging out of that a little, it is definitely a team that started taking part in this competition when they were younger. And of course, there's our own sub-adult weed ears. The fascinating thing about these young people, and this is something that we in the ABA have noted in the North American birding community as well, is the extent to which this intense birding and conservation go hand in hand. Here's Jonathan Mayrav, director of Champions of the Flyway, talking about it at the final brunch. These kids really are, it's, it, I mean, my friends here, Itai, Yoav, Lior, people that have been birding uh, in Israel in the past generations, and we always talked about how, you know, we're moving forward, but there isn't really a next generation. You know, there was always this gap, and it's just amazing. Uh, to see this generation growing and uh, becoming fantastic birders, uh, but even more important, uh, understanding bird conservation. Uh, when we were children, birding in Eilat, sleeping on North Beach, and walking all the way up to the salt pools, um, we really enjoyed birding in Eilat. And, uh, and I must say that at the time, when I was 13, 14 years old, I enjoyed birding, but didn't think they didn't have anything in my mind about conservation or what happens to these birds after we see them. And these kids uh, from the age of seven, eight, already understand that these turtle doves that they're looking at and these warblers that they're looking at, and they, they understand the story behind it. And they will become educators. And they are not birding just for birding. They are birding to save these birds. And uh, really, they deserve a big hand. Bird races, like champions, have been used by birders as fundraisers for a long time. It's probably a legitimate question to ask as to whether these events, which are legitimately the most consumptive form of birding, can be truly effective vehicles for conservation. I do think that champions, by its nature of everybody pulling together for one goal and pooling money in service of that goal, is sort of the platonic ideal of bird races. $100,000 is nothing to sniff at. That kind of money will have an impact. But is it worth the cost? I think people use the term awareness too much um, because it sort of can you can justify anything if you say oh it's just raising awareness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean if you want to go chase birds for 24 hours and you want to make it sound sort of less selfish or something you can say <laughs> oh it's to raise awareness which is why I really like that I mean it is true in this case but it's also really nice that there's the huge fundraising aspect yeah. that you have some tangible thing to show at the end of that that goes directly to benefiting birds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, so, yeah, I think any sort of from us, even with emissions and stuff like that, I think it's offset by the amount of money that's going to help bird conservation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and assuming the teams are actually going through with their fundraising goals, which most mm-hmm. of them do, yeah, um, and raise quite a good sum of money. I mean, this was my first big day, so I didn't really have a lot of experience of like what it felt like. Hmm? Shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've planned a bunch before and they never really worked out. I just think, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's good. It's it's a way to get people in, kind of hooked into it. Um, and I think that's kind of where social media comes in. Because by being able to, like, live tweet or live post things, yeah. you can just, you can get people, I mean, I don't want to say raise awareness, but you can, <laughs> you can just, you can show people that this is what goes on which you can't really do when you're just going out and casually birding a place it's much harder to get people hooked yeah um i will say like when i very like when i had heard when the first champions of the flyway like really started um all i knew was that it was a bird race um and so i was just like wow like this is like a big day and i didn't really know much about it being in like for conservation and so kind of like the recap like I think it's really great to have like this big day and like see all these birds and have all these teams together but pushing for why we're doing it and why we're seeing these birds and why the birds are still here um because we're helping them is an important factor mm-hmm. I think it's a model that other big day competitions should be sort yeah. of following mm-hmm. um, yeah because it's really I mean yeah like, um, sure the numbers are cool mm-hmm. and the birds are cool, but we're able to see these birds because of the conservation and yeah, I, we're yeah, supporting. And I, th- I, yeah. I think that um, like it's an issue that I think birders generally grasp, grapple with. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, things like chasing rarities aren't the best for the environment with, right. um, in terms of... Uh, <laughs> or, the, or the bird the driving, driving, driving the entire like yeah. race yeah, field. Um, is. So I think it's an issue. So I think it's a question that birders grapple with of whether or not what we're doing is helping birds are hurting them and I think mm-hmm. that what Champions is doing with in terms of raising a huge sum of money for bird conservation is a decent solution. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's undeniable that Champions of the Flyway is an amazing event. It's hard to have experienced it and not come away inspired by what the Champions team has accomplished, amazed at the scale of the problem and the real and really effective steps birders have made to address it, and unmoved by the community that is built up around Champions of the Flyway. The birds here are incredible. The migration is spectacular. The event is a blast. When we come back, we'll see how things shake out. We still need a good look at that McQueen's Bustard anyway. Full, full final takeaway. Big picture. Big fan of the event. You enjoyed it. Had a great time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, come, we'll come back. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would stay. Would stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to leave. Uh, so, can you yeah. stay here and. I have a lot of people to thank. First, thanks to John Abeam, Marky Mutchler, and Aiden Place for letting me tag along with them on race day and the several days before it. I had a great time with you all. Thanks to the entire Champions of the Flyway team, especially Jonathan Mayrav. The work he is doing is inspirational and important, and it was a great honor to be part of it. Thanks to the Israel Ministry of Tourism and Oded Scene for helping arrange my own logistics. A huge thank you is due to Leica Sports Optics and especially Jeff Bouton, who provided all manner of support while we were on the ground in Israel. I want to especially call out the people who donated to the Subadult Weed Ears on their Just Giving page and noted that the podcast sent you over. There were 
two of you, or at least two of you remembered to mention the podcast, Donna Schulman and Christy Morley. We greatly appreciate your support, even though we were mourning the fact that there were so few of you. Response was certainly variable. You might say Isabelline response. Uh, we're so glad you didn't desert us, though. And Abyssinian, Ab- Abyssinian you later. Northern Weeder. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Joining the ABA offers a lot of great advantages. Not only do you receive 10 great magazines a year, discounts to partners like Beauty of Books, and access to ABA events, but you are helping to support this podcast and all the other free resources the ABA provides as part of our mission to inspire people to enjoy and protect wild birds and to build a better birding community. Birding is one of those great pastimes that you can put as much into or as little into as you like. We certainly hope that you decide supporting the ABA is part of that. Get more information at aba.org slash join. A special shout out to James Wheat of Louisville, Kentucky, Kenny Younger of Madison, Wisconsin, Eric Ostrander and Hannah Bouchert of Tallahassee, Florida, Kiri Carini of Tucson, Arizona, and Daniel Ray of Savage, Minnesota, all of whom joined the ABA recently and noted this podcast as one of the reasons. Thanks, everybody. That means a lot. Welcome to the ABA. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. We think he's a pretty great president, but that doesn't mean he walks on water or anything. That's from Mark 6, verse 48. Technical production is by John Lowry. This was an ambitious episode, and I want to thank John for finishing it by the skin of his teeth. Job 19, verse 20. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese. We appreciate everything they do and their willingness to go the extra mile. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 41. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA, where we implore you to get outside because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to bird marry. I think that's from Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.